My name is Troy. I'm the pastor here at City Church, and on behalf of our staff and our team, we just want to welcome every one of you, man. We see uh, some new faces in the house. Let's give it up one more time for our first-time guests today. We are thrilled to have you worshiping with us this morning. And uh, today is a big Sunday for us. We're going to be baptizing some people after service. We had uh, two people signed up to get baptized until yesterday. We got another one signed up yesterday. And then this morning we got another one signed up. So we're going to be baptizing four people after service. I'm super, super excited about that. And who knows, God may have something else in mind for one of you that didn't come on plan uh, plan on getting baptized today. Maybe it will be even more than four. Uh, But next Sunday is a big Sunday. Sunday here for us as well. Next Sunday, uh, you probably noticed when you came in, there's a couple of orange flyers in your seat. Next Sunday is our annual fall festival. If you've never uh, partaken in the City Church Fall Festival, all I can say is you need to be here next Sunday night. Well, not here, actually, because the Fall Festival will not be here, but you need to be at Cody and Mercedes uh, property uh, in Olive Branch. We've got the address on here, the directions for you, and we put two of them in every seat uh, because we want you to be able to invite another family, another friend, tell somebody about it get them here, uh, especially if they make chili, uh, they need to be here, they need to come enter our chili cook-off, if they make wings, don't bring them, because I'm winning the wings cook-off, and I need very little competition, because I've never made wings before, but I'm winning it, Uh, so don't get them to sign up for the wings cook-off, but you can get them to sign up for the chili cook-off, why are you hating, Uh uh-huh, yeah, Vanessa laughing at me. Okay, so I may not win the wings cook-off. I never won the chili cook-off, so I decided this year I'm going to try to make some wings, see if I have any better luck. But, uh, man, we have a blast. We got all kinds of stuff going on. Um, the kids are going to enjoy this. So you got kids, nieces, nephews, grandkids, neighbor kids. Um, get them here. They can dress up, wear their non-scary costumes. Uh, they can come and have a blast. They're going to get all kinds of candy and other fun stuff. Uh, we got carnival games. We got a hayride, bonfire. All kinds of good stuff. All the information is right here. It's going to start at 5 o'clock next Sunday night. 5 o'clock at Cody Mercedes next Sunday night. Um, if you are bringing something to enter into one of the cook-offs, I think you need to have it there by 5.15 at the latest. Uh, so get signed up for that. There's a sign-up sheet out at the Connection Center, which is just uh, in the front corner right by the front door. Um, or you can see Mercedes. Mercedes, go ahead and raise your hand for me. Everybody say, Hi, Mercedes. Mercedes will take care of you. She will get you all the info, um, or you can sign up to bring cakes for our cakewalk. All kinds of fun stuff going on next Sunday night at our fall festival. Do not make the mistake of missing it. All right. Uh, We are in a series called Ghost Stories, in this not-so-spooky series about the Holy Spirit. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open to the book of Acts, chapter 1. If you are familiar with the book of Acts, you know that the book of Acts is the place to turn if you want to study the person of the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Holy Spirit is evident throughout all of Scripture. He's involved from the beginning until the end, but in the book of Acts, he takes center Stage. In fact, uh, it, traditionally, the book of Acts was actually called the book of the Acts of the Apostles. And in one of my Bible school classes, they taught me that we could actually change that name from the Acts of the Apostles to the Acts of the Holy Spirit. 
that, that the Holy Spirit is actually the central character, the central person in the book of Acts. In fact, the words Holy Spirit actually appear in the book of Acts 42 times in the 28 chapters, so more than once per chapter. Uh, but not only that, the, the words the Spirit appear many, many more times. And so we see the Holy Spirit referred to uh, from Acts chapter 1 all the way through Acts chapter 28. In fact, it, the Holy Spirit pops up, first of all, in the second verse of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 2. And we see him all the way uh, until the, I think, five verses from the end of the book is the last time that the Holy Spirit is mentioned. All throughout these 28 chapters, we see the Acts of the Holy Spirit. We see the Holy Spirit's miracles. We see supernatural, crazy stuff that takes place through the power of of the Holy Spirit. We see healings. We see people raised from the dead. We see somebody survive a snake bite uh, that was venomous and was supposed to kill him. We see shipwreck victims that survive. We see all kinds of crazy things go on through the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, And so we could call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. But here's what I think. Uh, I'm going to take the traditional title, Acts of the Apostles, and the new title that they taught me in Bible school, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, and I think we should put them together. Because what I think the book of Acts really is, is the book of the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. You see, what we see in the book of Acts is not just God showing up and doing crazy stuff, although God shows up and does crazy stuff. What we really see is God show up through the person of the Holy Spirit and do amazing, mind-blowing, supernatural, powerful things through the followers of Jesus Christ. And guess what? That wasn't just for 2,000 years ago. These aren't just stories. These aren't just ghost stories that we can sit around the campfire and tell and and scare the kids because, man, Paul got bit by a snake and it was freaky and it was spooky. These are things that we can look to for inspiration. See, man, this is what God is still up to today. This is the power that God still has. So God's spirit does not act alone in the book of Acts. He's always partnering with his people Uh, Everywhere, really throughout scripture, we see God partner with a person. When God wants to send a flood to destroy the earth, he picks a person. Hey, Noah, I'm going to have you build an ark, and I'm going to protect you and protect the animals through you. And when God wants to destroy a giant who's harassing the Israelite people, God comes to a shepherd boy, and he says, I want through his Holy Spirit, he tells David, I'm going to use you to destroy this giant. And throughout scripture, we see God always partner with, with an individual, and here's what I believe. I believe that God is still in the partnership business. I believe that God's spirit is not just acting solo. He is not on his own in the earth today, but he is living in and through the people of God, even the people in this room, up to things right now, today. In fact, at the end of our service today, before we do our baptisms, we're going to bring one of our city church members up here, and she's going to share with you a story, a testimony of what God's been up to in her family and how God has has been doing supernatural, crazy things uh, through them. And, And I'm so excited for her to get to share her story with you. But in Acts chapter 1, we're going to read the first 10 verses today, and we're really going to hone in on one very famous verse from this passage of Scripture. But I want to make sure that we get the context right. So Acts chapter 1. Now, you need to understand that the book of Acts is written by a guy named Luke. Luke was a follower of Jesus, and he was a physician. He was a doctor. He was, uh, he was a Greek. He was not a Jew. Uh, and so most of his writings were to the Gentiles. They were to people who were not Jews, who were 
grafted into the kingdom of God. Uh, and so he wrote another book, which we know as the book of Luke. And he wrote this book, this gospel of Luke, telling about Jesus. Uh, and now he writes this second story, this second tale, this second uh, account of what went on after Jesus left. Now Jesus is not just moving uh, through himself. Now the Holy Spirit is moving through God's people. And so he starts out in verse 1. He says, in my former book, Theophilus. Theophilus, by the way, means lover of God. There's some debate among Bible scholars if Theophilus is a general term, if Luke was writing this to lovers of God everywhere, if in fact we are Theophilus, or if Theophilus was actually a specific individual that Luke was writing to. Uh, We don't actually know. Uh, There's people on both sides, but regardless, he's writing this to someone or someones uh, who love God very clearly. He says, in my former book, I I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So at the very beginning, even referring back to his previous volume, Luke takes us to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's power. After his suffering, he, he being Jesus, showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was still alive. Uh, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So Luke the physician uh, is really an incredible uh, historian. In fact, this book of Acts is used not just by Christians. This is actually referred to by historians throughout the world to understand what was going on in this day and age. Luke's stuff checks out across the board. His understanding of the Roman Empire, his understanding of the uh, who's in charge of this region, who's in charge of this region, what's going on here, what's going on there. Uh, he's really, really highly regarded as an author from ancient times. In fact, the, the story of Paul's shipwreck uh, that happens later on in the, the book of Acts. I want to say it's Acts chapter 21. Uh, that story is considered the greatest first-hand account, because Luke was on the ship, the greatest first-hand ac- account of a shipwreck from antiquity. It's the greatest account of what would actually take place on a ship. Even by people who aren't Christians, even by people who don't believe the Bible, they look to his writing uh, as, as something to, to really look up to. Why is that important? Well, it's important because everything that we're going to see that happens, we understand that Luke was painstakingly detailed. He was a doctor, which means he probably had terrible handwriting and an awful signature, uh, but he took time to make sure that everything he wrote down was historically accurate. He wasn't just putting stuff down. He wasn't just telling a tale or weaving a story. He was recording a, a, a series of events. Verse 4 says, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. So Jesus tells his disciples, I've got a gift for you. I've got a gift that you've heard me talking about. You've seen uh, me refer to many times throughout our three years together. Now I want you to stay in Jerusalem, stay in the upper room, stay together, and I'm going to send that gift to you. How many of you guys ever got a gift in the mail? 
Man, something showed up. How many of you, you knew the gift was coming and you were like excited and waiting for it? Checking the mail every day, right? Like, when's it going to come? When's it going to come? Man, why isn't it here yet? What's wrong with the post office? Newman, right? Like, we're, we're frustrated because uh, it hasn't showed up. Well, this is basically how the disciples were. Man, they were excited for the gift that Jesus had promised. Like, why hasn't the gift arrived yet? But God had a specific timing and a specific purpose to send this gift that he had promised. Verse number five said, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. What's interesting about this is the language refers back uh, to, to a very specific conversation that Jesus had in the Gospels. In fact, it appears in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Luke's version in Luke verse three, chapter 3, verse 16, John the Baptist is speaking. He says, John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So Jesus says, John baptized with water. I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John, many chapters ago, said, I baptize you with water, but Jesus is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So this prophecy that John had made is about to be fulfilled. Side note, I'm going to baptize you with water today, some of you. I'm going to have the honor and the opportunity to take that step. God's going to allow me to be involved in that process, and I think that's awesome. I can't baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I don't have that ability. That, that is not for me to do. That is something that only Jesus has reserved for himself. He says, I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That is something that Jesus does. Now he can use us in the process. There's times in the, in the book of Acts where we see followers of Jesus lay hands on one another, and they're baptized with the Holy Spirit. God invites them into the process, but Jesus is the one. He's reserved this for himself. He says, I'm going to send this gift. I'm going to send this promise. I'm going to baptize you. With the Holy Spirit. Going back to Acts chapter 1 and verse 6. It says, so when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. I love the disciples. They're so much like us. God's up to something eternal. God's up to something supernatural. God's about to bring salvation to the world. 3,000 people are about to get saved in just a few days on the day of Pentecost. And what are the disciples worried about? When are you going to take over Israel? When are you going to be on the throne? When are we going to get our country back? They're worried about politics. They're worried about their stuff, and I think we're so much like them. We get so drawn into the the events of the day, so drawn into a a small-minded perspective of what's going on. God, when are you going to do this? When are you going to make this happen? And God's trying to do something so much bigger and so much greater, and I identify so much with the disciples. Verse 7 says, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates. The Father set by his own authority. But verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is our key verse. This is the verse that we're going to spend a lot of time on today. He says, you don't need to worry about when I'm taking over Israel. You don't need to worry about when I'm going to return. You don't need to worry about when I'm going to be the king on the throne. Here's what you need to worry about. I'm going to send you some power. And that power is going to allow you to do something specific. You're going to be my witnesses. 
and I'm sending you out. We're going to start here in Jerusalem. We're going to take over this city. And then we're going to go to the countryside. We're going to go to Judea. Then we're going to go to, to Samaria. Then we're going to go to the ends of the earth. I'm sending you all over to take my story, to be my witness. Verse 9. It says, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid, them, hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said. These were obviously angels. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the chance to, to preach your word today. God, I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that you've given us this power for a specific reason, God, that, that you're so motivated to reach the lost. And, God, I pray that you would help our motivations to line up with your motivations today. Father God, that we would have the same priorities that you have, that we would have the same purposes that you have, that we would have the same desires. Father God, if, if our desires are off, if our purposes are, are more earthly-minded than heavenly-minded, change us today. Help us to be more like you through your power of your Holy Spirit. We love you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So. In the next few minutes today, and, and I don't have much time today at all, I've got about 15 minutes to share with you before we bring up our testimony and, and start moving towards our baptism. But in the next few minutes, I want to, to break down Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I want to do something I've never done before. We're going to dive into this verse and break it down word by word and, and really dive into why the, did God inspired Luke to, to put these specific words on paper. What is Jesus saying through the Holy Spirit in this verse, and how does it apply to us? The verse, again, just to review is, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So as we break this down today, uh, this is going to be real basic. Maybe some of it's going to seem elementary, but I think it's important to get to the very core, the very root of what God is saying in this verse. The first verse, the first word of this verse is but. Kind of a, a funny word to start out such a powerful verse with. Such a, an incredible message begins with but. Well, but obviously means there's, there's a curveball. There's a change in direction. Things are going this direction. Now God's changing to this direction. What direction were they going? Well, the Israelites, the, the disciples, excuse me, they were going in the direction of, hey, when are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? When are you going to return? When are you going to take over the throne? When are we going to be redeemed? When are these stupid Romans getting kicked out of our country and we're going to be free again and we're going to have control of our land? That's the direction they were going. And Jesus says, you don't need to worry about that. That's not your concern. The, the things that the Father has set in motion, the dates and the times that he's reserved, those are for him to decide. Those are for him to, to handle. It's not for us. Here's what you do need to worry about. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. How does that apply to us? Well, well, I think in the day that we live in, it can be real easy for us to get obsessed with the end times. Uh, I think we can get really caught up in, man, there's Ebola breaking out over here, and there's earthquakes over here, and people are getting their heads cut off over here. And, and I think we need to be aware of world events, and I, I don't think we need to be ignorant. I don't think that we need to bury our heads in the sand by any means. 
But at the same time, the purpose that God has for his Christians today is the same purpose that God had for his people 2,000 years ago. Go out and be my disciples. Go out and be my witnesses. Go out and tell people about me. Yes, he told us about some signs to watch for. Yes, we need to be even more motivated to witness as we see the day approach. The closer Jesus gets to coming back isn't, man, it's time to go in bunker mode. It's time to save ourselves. It's time to dig a hole in the ground and preserve life. That's not what Jesus said at all. What he said is, man, I'm coming back. And when I come back, there's not going to be any more time for people to come to me. And so until the day that I come back, I need you to go out and be my witness and tell people about what I've done. And so I see Christians all the time. My, my parents, I love them to death. They are end times fanatics. They know every prophecy, every person that said this is going to happen and this is who's going to be the Antichrist and this is going to go in this order. And it's like, okay, maybe you're right. I can't change it if you are, uh, number one. But, but number two, I don't think that's God's purpose for us. I don't see in Scripture where I'm supposed to be consumed with the end times. Number two, I know in Scripture I'm not supposed to be worried about it. When Jesus even talks to them in Matthew chapter 25 and begins to say, here's signs of the end of the age, he says, don't worry about this stuff. Don't be afraid of it. And so if you're caught up in fear because, man, Ebola is going to get me, uh, or, or you're caught up in fear because ISIS is coming to America, here's what I can't do. I can't promise Ebola is not going to get you. I can't. I can make a pretty good guess. Uh, But I can't promise you you will not die of Ebola. I can't promise you that ISIS is not going to take over America. I can make a pretty strong guess. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen. But whether it does or whether it doesn't, if you're a Christian, you got nothing to be afraid of. We have nothing to fear. Jesus has already won the victory for us. It's already been taken care of. In fact, these people that Jesus is talking to in this moment, most of them are going to die for their faith. And yet Jesus tells them again and again, do not be afraid. Why? Not because he said, don't be afraid, nothing's going to happen to you. He said, don't be afraid because they can't do anything to you. If they take your life, all that does is advance you into eternity. There's nothing they can do to harm you. And so I don't know what's going to happen to the future of our country. I don't know what's going to be go on five years from now, ten years from now. I know I see some pretty disturbing trends. I know I see some things moving in directions that I don't like. I know I see our, our country moving away from some things that I believe that we were founded on, that I believe that, that are better for us. I, I wonder what kind of a world my, my son's going to grow up in. That's, that's just being real. Yes, I have those same thoughts and those same concerns as everybody does. But here's my biggest concern, that my son knows Jesus. Because if he knows Jesus, even if the world is tougher than the world I grew up in, even if it's more hostile towards Christians, he's going to be okay. In fact, he's going to be more than okay. He's going to be blessed. He's going to be taken care of. He's going to have eternity with Jesus. And that's my focus is not preserving the world that I grew up in to pass on to my son. It's passing on Jesus to my son. Because if he gets Jesus, the rest of it's going to take care of itself. That's what matters. And so Jesus says, quit worrying about the end. Quit worrying about when I'm coming back. Quit worrying about when I'm taking over. It's going to happen, and it's going to be awesome when it does. But until that day comes, you got a job to do. I'm sending you out. We got souls that need to be saved. And I want you to be my witnesses. And that's 
what we as Christians have to grab hold of. So you may think that word but is very insignificant in the verse, but I believe there's a lot of power there. As Jesus changes the direction from them focused on what's going to happen here on earth to him saying, I need you to witness for me. The next word in this verse is you. And this is probably the most easily debatable part of the verse. Who is you? Is Jesus just speaking to the disciples in this moment? Is he just speaking to the 120 who are going to be in the upper room? Is he just speaking to Christians who are going to be saved in that day and age, in in that particular time period, in what we would call the apostolic time frame? Or is he speaking to all of us who are going to come? See, a lot of times we can do this wrong in that um, that there's a, a study called hermeneutics. And hermeneutics is basically how do we study the Bible? How do we get anything out of what's going on? How do we interpret Scripture? And there's bad hermeneutics out there in a lot of American church, and I'm sure we've used some bad here too, so I'm not trying to bash anybody else. But we, we can make the mistake of taking a specific promise that God made to a specific individual and say, okay, that promise is for me. Not every promise that's in Scripture that God made to someone specific is for all of us. In other words, um, if God promised David, I'm going to send you before that giant, and you're going to kill that giant. Um, I'm not praying in front of the mirror every day, God, you're going to send me a nine-foot, six-inch ugly man, and I'm going to take his head off in Jesus' name. Like, I'm not standing on the promise that I'm going to go out and slay Goliath with some stones, okay? That's a specific thing for a specific individual for a specific time. So how do we know if this is the same thing? How do we know if this applies to all of us or not? Well, we study Scripture and interpret Scripture with Scripture, and we see what happened from this point forward. Uh, and in this very next chapter, Peter is going to stand up on the day of Pentecost after the Holy Spirit comes. And he's going to preach. And he's going to tell everybody there that this promise of the Holy Spirit is for you and for all who are far are off, for all on whom the Lord our God will call. He's going to say that this promise, this gift, which remember, what did Jesus refer to? He said, I'm going to send you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, And so Peter gets up and he declares, this promise is for all of us. Now, Peter was full of the Holy Spirit. He was inspired by God as he was speaking that. So I believe pretty strongly that we can determine that this verse is for all of us. This is for all Christians who choose to believe it, to stand on it, to walk in it. So he says, but you will. Will. I I love this word, will. Will is a word of confidence. It doesn't say you might. It doesn't say if you are good enough. It doesn't say if you get enough of your sin under control, then you'll receive power. It doesn't say if you're one of the top 10% of Christians, then you will receive power. It doesn't say, man, if, if you master this or you've memorized these verses or you've got this under control, then you will receive power. Or maybe if you're good enough or if you're, uh, if you're rich enough, if you're black enough, if you're white enough, if you're female enough or male enough. He doesn't put any qualifications on it. He just says you will. Confidently, boldly, directly. In fact, we see in the upper room 120 men and women, and every single one of them receives this gift. Now, the gift manifests a little bit differently. They don't all go out and preach on the day of Pentecost. They don't all see 3,000 people come to Jesus. They don't all travel to the same locations. They don't all see the same miracles happen. But all of them will receive the gift. The promise is for every single one who obeys what Jesus tells them to do, who waits in Jerusalem for the promise of the gift, is confident. The next word here is receive. Receive is pretty basic. Uh, 
when I hear that word receive, my first thought, and this is just the flesh that is in your pastor, my first thought is wide receiver football, okay? That's just being real. It's the first thing I think of when I, and some of you are like, you receive, you're thinking I'm getting a gift, somebody's sending me something, I'm thinking my fantasy football team. So, uh, who's starting for me today? That's where my mind goes immediately. But receive means it's coming from somewhere else. You see, we're receiving power. It's not power from earth. It's power from heaven. God's sending something from above something that's beyond us, something that's above us, something that we could never do for ourselves, something I could never give you, something, man, Billy Graham could never give you. we got to receive this from the one who is greater. The next word, and the one that's probably the most famous in the verse, is power. You just think like Tim the Tool Man Taylor, right? Like, if I could grunt, I would do it, but I can't, so I won't. But that, you know, power, man, this manly picture. Uh, the, the Greek word very famously here is dunamis. Dunamis is the same Greek word that we get the word dynamite from. It's this explosive, uh, kind of in-your-face, awesome power. It's also the same word that we get the word dynamic from. It's dynamic. It's moving. It's making something happen. And so the power of the Holy Spirit is not hidden it's not subtle it's not quiet it's not reserved it's not maybe it's there maybe it's not man if you've received it you know it you'll receive power it's explosive it changes things very quickly if you apply dynamite to something something's going to change the nature of that thing is going to look different. It's never going to be the same. And when you come in contact with this gift of the Holy Spirit, something changes. You're not going to look the same. You're going to bear a mark after receiving the power that comes from the Holy Spirit. And he says, when. You will receive power when. This is not something that, that happens gradually or randomly, it happens at a specific time, at a specific moment. It's a specific experience uh, that God has for us. It says, when the, the Holy Spirit, there's only one. There's nobody like him. There's no one who can compare to him. There's nobody else out there. He is the Holy Spirit. There is no other spirit that can ever compare. The next word is holy. What's holy mean? Holy means set apart. It means other means different. You see, the Spirit of God is holy. He's not like us. He's not the same as us. He's greater than us. He's beyond us. He's not ordinary. He's not the same. He's holy. The next word is spirit. Spirit in the Greek is the word pneuma. Pneuma is the same Greek word that we get breath from. It's also the same Greek word that we get wind from. And so we see the Holy Spirit symbolized throughout Scripture by quite a few different things. We see him symbolized by wind. Holy Spirit is not wind. We see the Holy Spirit symbolized by breath. The Holy Spirit is not breath. We see the Holy Spirit symbolized by a dove. The Holy Spirit is not a dove. We see the Holy Spirit symbolized by fire. The Holy Spirit is not fire. Why do we have these symbols? Well, symbols help us to create a picture, an understanding of an aspect of the character of the Holy Spirit. We don't reduce the Holy Spirit to fire. We see that one aspect of the Holy Spirit's ability is, man, he will set you on fire. He will set you ablaze. Man, we see one aspect of the Holy Spirit is that he's like wind. He, he comes and he goes, and there, there's no one who can control him. You can't hold the wind in. You can't box in the wind, and the Holy Spirit's the same way. He's beyond our control. Uh, and so 
the Holy Spirit is symbolized by these things. And, and a lot of times we see that the same thing, like the, the Father may be symbolized by different words in Scripture. He's this or he's that. That's not reducing God to one characteristic. It's simply just saying here's one characteristic of his character. Or one, that's a terrible sentence. Here's one aspect of his character. You can't define a word with this definition. Come on, Troy, you're better than that. Uh, so you can't reduce him to one thing. He's many things. He's multifaceted and has so many components and characteristics. So you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. Again, he's got to come. He's not from here. He's not from us. He's going to leave heaven and come down upon us. There's power from heaven available to God's people, which is amazing. Next word is on. Here's one that I think is kind of significant. Notice he doesn't say you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes in you. This is when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Why is that important? It was important because the Holy Spirit was already in them. John chapter 21, Jesus breathed on the disciples, these same people he's speaking to here, and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. That was their salvation. This is before Jesus left and went to heaven. This is when he was standing physically in front of them. They received the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit came in them. If you're a Christian today, just hear me real quick on this. The Holy Spirit is in you. This is not about whether the Holy Spirit is in you or not in you. If you've received salvation, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you right now today. And let me say this also, in is better than on. Okay? In is what what's matters the most. If the Holy Spirit is in you, that's your seal of salvation. If the Holy Spirit is in you, that's how he can speak to you and lead you and guide you. In is greater than on. In fact, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit could come on someone. The Holy Spirit came on Samson, and Samson picks up the jawbone of an ox, and he goes out or, and starts slaying people, right? Like he starts messing pools up with that jawbone. And the Holy Spirit comes on people throughout the Old Testament. All of a sudden, they're empowered and they're anointed and they go do something specific for a specific purpose. And then the Holy Spirit isn't on them anymore. The New Testament, the Holy Spirit comes in me. And that's way better than on. So why now was Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit coming on those who he's already in? Because it's the second experience. It's a separate experience, and it's not necessarily better than salvation. In fact, it's not better than salvation. Salvation is way more important, but it does allow us to tap into more of the power of God and allow the God's power to flow through us in a way that didn't before, in a very specific way, and we're going to get to that in just a second. So you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you again, Same you, God's people. And this is a two-part promise. First, you'll receive power, and you're going to receive something else. And you will. It's an obligation. It's not not a choice. If I receive the power of the Holy Spirit, if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit today, can I just tell you, you've got a responsibility to be a witness for Jesus. If you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, God has given you, the Bible says, to whom much is given, much is expected. You will be my witnesses. This is part of the deal. This is part of the package. You will be. Notice that it's you will be my witness, not you will go out and witness. This isn't so much about a job description. This isn't so much about a to-do list as it is about God changing us from the inside. He changes who we are. He says you will be my witness. And, yes, I have a responsibility to to do some things with that new character that he's given me, but I'm going to be a witness. That's going to become my nature. That's going to become who I am. That's going to become my identity. My essence is now I'm a witness 
for Jesus. He says, you will be my. Who's talking? Make sure we keep you awake here. Who's talking? Who's talking? Come on, city church, let me hear you. Who's talking? Jesus is talking. So he says, my, whose witnesses are we? Jesus' witness. See, here's an easy mistake to make. People who get into the power of the Holy Spirit can really easily become witnesses to the Holy Spirit. And, man, we become really caught up in the Holy Spirit, and we get really excited about the Holy Spirit. And you got to get the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's got to do this, and you got to let the Holy Spirit move, and you got to let the Holy Spirit da-da-da. The Holy Spirit doesn't come on me to make me a witness to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes on me to make me a witness for Jesus. The Holy Spirit's job is to make me look like Jesus. The Holy Spirit's job is to empower me to go out and be a witness about the things that Jesus has done for me. And so we don't need to get caught up. And yes, we're doing a series on the the Holy Spirit. And yes, we need to study the Holy Spirit. We need to understand the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit does not become our identity point. I am a Christian. I am not a Holy Spiritian, right? There's a reason for the terminology, because I follow Jesus. Now, I follow Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Jesus sent me the Holy Spirit to help me follow him. But I'm Jesus as witness. He's the one who I place my trust in, my identity in, my worship in. So you will be my witnesses. What's a witness do? Witness testifies what they've seen, what they've heard, what they've experienced. So we're going to stop there in, in our word study because we don't have just a ton of time. But I, I want to kind of wrap this up and, and kind of put a bow on it. What is Jesus saying so far? By the way, just to, to hit the rest of it, then he says Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. He says you're going to start where you are, and then I'm going to take you a little further, and I'm going to take you a little further, and then you've got a global purpose. And if you're a Christian, you've got a purpose to help evangelize not just your city, but the world. We need to support missions. We need to pray about, am I called to go to missions, maybe for a short time, maybe for life. That's a, that's a part of God's calling on us. We're not just called to our city. We're called to the world. We don't have time to really break all that down today, though. So, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on me and you will, or comes on you and you will be my witnesses. What do I do with this? I want to give you two quick applications based on two different camps. There's basically two groups here today. There, there's going to be a group that, well, maybe three. Okay, there's, there's one group possibly of people who've never made Jesus their Lord and Savior. If you're in that group, you don't need to worry about the Holy Spirit right now. You need to worry about giving your life to Jesus. Okay, uh, and we're going to have opportunity for that. We're going to do some baptisms after service. If you say, hey, I want to come out as a Christian. I want to declare to the world that I'm a follower of Jesus. Man, we'll dunk you in your jeans and your T-shirt. Or we'll give you a T-shirt. We got some towels back there. We'll, we'll baptize you and let you make that declaration that, hey, I'm ready to be a follower of Jesus. If, if you're in that camp, that's what you need to worry about, number one. Then there, there's two other camps here, which is probably going to, most of us are going to fall in one of these. Uh, there's Christians here who've received salvation but never had a second experience where they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If that's you, let me say this to you right now, you are not a lesser Christian. You are not a lesser city church member. We don't see people who've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit as greater than those who have not. Here's the camp that you're in right now. You are already serving God. You are already doing great things for God. God's already got a call and a plan and a purpose for your life. If you choose to take the step to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's just going to become easier. 
That's really the difference. It's not that you're a better Christian. It's not that you're a greater Christian. It's now you've just you've tapped into more power that God's made available to you. Uh, specifically in the area of witnessing. If you're a Christian and you have a hard time opening your mouth about Jesus, if you're a Christian and you have a hard time sharing with people that, man, I love Jesus, if you have a hard time identifying with him, if, man, you're at work and you're just afraid to speak, you're afraid to talk, this is something that God's made available to you to increase your power to witness. Man, it's, it's the most incredible thing. I told you I was going to tell you my story about this this week. I don't have time, but I am going to tell you next week, I promise. But I'll tell you, I'll sum it up like this. I went from somebody who could not tell somebody I went to church to somebody who led nine of my friends to Christ within a month when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. My, my whole personality changed. I would not stand up in front of you today if this had not happened for me. Now, some of you can get up here and you can preach and you don't need the baptism of the Holy Spirit to do that and you're already bold and you're already witnessing and you're like, why do I need it? All I can tell you is it's going to be that much greater and God can take you that much further if you take that step. I'm not saying that you're below me. You may be way, way, way beyond me, but I don't think you've reached your ceiling. I think God's got a greater potential for what he can do in you if you take this step. Now, Second is, for those of us who've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, who've received this power, who've had this experience, and you know exactly what I'm talking about right now. Again, I want to speak directly to you for just a second. To whom much is given, much is expected. If you've received this gift, if you've taken this step, this is not a one-time experience that I can look back on and tell stories about and smile about and say, man, that was a pretty cool thing that God did, and I got some Holy Spirit chill bumps, and I got this, you know, I had this moment, and man, it was awesome, and you should do it too. No. This is something that is supposed to empower us to go out and change the freaking world. That's what happened in the book of Acts. They received the power, and now Peter, who literally just days before was a coward who didn't even want anybody to know he was with Jesus. He denied Jesus three times just a few days ago and said, no, I'm not with him. Now that same guy will stand boldly on a street corner and say, you need to give your life to Jesus, and he's going to change everything for you, and 3,000 people can get saved in one sermon. That's a pretty amazing experience. But he didn't stop with one sermon. He went out and the rest of his life was different. Throughout the rest of scripture, we don't see Peter saying stupid stuff anymore. I'm not saying you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, you'll never say something stupid. But what I'm saying is, all of a sudden, this guy who was so, so kind of wrapped up in his own stubbornness, so wrapped up in his own stuff, all of a sudden, God freed a lot of that stuff off of him. And now he's got the opportunity to go out and lead people to Jesus. That same stubbornness that, that used to be his weakness all of a sudden became his strength. And now nobody could silence him. Nobody could shut him up. Nobody could tell him, you can't talk about Jesus. And he died for his faith. He got hung upside down on a cross and crucified. And he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified standing up like Jesus was. Crucify me upside down. That's some bold, crazy faith. That's somebody who receives some power. The same guy who said, I don't even want you to think I know Jesus said, no, you're going to crucify me upside down because I'm not worthy to be crucified the way he was. What happened? What changed? It's power from the Holy Spirit. And so if you've received that power, 
you got a responsibility. Paul told Timothy, stir up the gift that's been placed inside you by the laying on of hands. Maybe you're here today and you've received that power and you're not walking in it right now. I'm not condemning you. I'm not pointing my finger at you. I'm not telling you that you're worthless, that you've blown it, none of that. I am telling you this, you need to stir up some gifts. I'm telling you this, you've got a responsibility as a, as a Christ follower, somebody who's been given much through the baptism of the Holy Spirit to say, okay, God, maybe I've neglected this thing for three months, for three years, for 30 years, but I know what you did in me, and I know it was real, and I know that it's still there, and so I need you to help me to stir this thing up. I need to help me start walking in it. I need some power to be a witness for the name of Jesus Christ again because there's people in Olive Branch, Mississippi, who are dying and going to hell. Because there's people in South Haven who are dying and going to hell. There's people in Memphis who are dying and going to hell. And God has called us to be his witnesses. You and me. And so if you've not taken that step and received that experience today, this is not a, you got to do this to be a part of City Church. We don't keep a role of, these people are baptized in the Holy Spirit, therefore they're eligible to lead this stuff, and these people are not, therefore they can't do anything. That's not, this is not the, the thing for us. But I'm telling you, man, if, if there's something inside you right now that says, man, I want more of God. If there's something inside you right now that says, I wish I was a better witness. I wish I had more boldness. I wish I had more power. Then this thing is for you. And I'm not going to pray for you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit today. Here's what I will do. If that's starting to stir in you, I want you to start praying and seeking God for his baptism yourself. I know many, many people who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit one-on-one, in the shower, in their bedroom, in their prayer closet. My wife, baptized in the Holy Spirit on a mission trip in England, she was outside by herself just praying, and she received the baptism of the Holy Spirit there. It doesn't have to be this loud, dramatic, experiential thing. Now, mine was loud and dramatic and experiential, and I'm going to tell you about that next week, and it can be that too, and we'll pray for you in a couple of weeks next week if that's something you want us to do. Uh, But I don't think you have to wait until next Sunday. I don't think you have to wait until somebody lays hands on you. If this is something that, that you want to seek, I believe you can begin to seek for yourself. You can begin to ask God, if, if you've got more for me, I want it. If you want to come on me and not just in me, I want it. And begin to ask him to baptize you in this Holy Spirit. You know what Jesus says, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and the door will be open. You know that he's actually talking about the Holy Spirit if you read that in context in the book of Luke. That's not just a generic promise, and we use it generically, and I think it's okay because I think it's true regardless, but he's specifically referring to the gift of the Holy Spirit when he says, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and the door will be open. I believe it's available to you if you've never experienced that, and I believe God's got something greater for you if you'll take that step.